Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody. Almost Sideways Podcast. We are so glad to be joining you. This is episode 92. I'm your host, Terry Plecknett. As always, joining me are Todd Plecknett, Zach Saltz. Todd, how great was it to see a Seahawks win today? Uh, yeah, it was awesome. I, I can't remember the last time we had an opener where we just went off like that. I mean, sort of the Packers after we won the Super Bowl. Like, th- that opener was, was pretty good. But this one, I mean, it everything was clicking. Uh, yeah, I think they definitely let Russ cook today, for sure. And let Jamal Adams do whatever he wanted. Yeah, yeah, man, he was like he like got every tackle on on defense, uh, like all day. Uh, Zach, how good was it to watch football this weekend? Oh, it was so spectacular. I was texting Todd yesterday during the UTSA Texas State game, game of the year. <laughs> And uh, what I text you, Todd, I, I think I said it was like watching two people play a Madden game who had never played a video game before. It was, there was like a, like two 20-yard field goals missed and like a 90-yard punt return. It was, it was everything that the I-35 sh- uh, showdown should have been. Yeah, it's a big rivalry that they've met three times. Three times, history. yep. <laughs> Texas State has never won. <laughs> Huge rivalry. <laughs> They were like seven-point favorites, too. I was like, that, that's weird. Because <laughs> like, usually the monkey on your back just grows and grows. But you, you should never be that big of a favorite. Now, now, Zach, how about those Jayhawks? I mean... Well, I think, I think we need to hear from Todd on this one, because Todd apparently had money on the game. And when he told me that all the Jayhawks needed to do was to win to complete his parlay, I was like, that, that's the kiss of death right there. And then next thing we know, they're down 28 nothing in the second quarter. You put the kibosh on them. Tom. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know. Well, the second half, they they came out and they they looked legit, but uh, they sort of ran ran out of gas and they had some weird time management things. But yeah, I mean, I should have never bet on the Jayhawks. I mean, that's the moral of the story. Yeah, yeah. In any sport, I mean, you can't trust Bill Self either, really. I mean, let's be honest. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Zach, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking some mysterious cheap wine. I'm not really sure what it is, but I know it's old and cheap and delicious. It will it will fulfill its purpose today. It'll be useful. It'll be useful. <laughs> Todd, what do you got? Uh, so I, I'm drinking, like, some spicy tomato juice with bourbon, which I've never done that before, but, it, I mean, it's good. It, it kind of has a bite, but uh, it'll be interesting. So it's like a Bloody Mary, but with bourbon instead of vodka. Yeah. But, I mean, I didn't put anything else in it. There's no soy sauce in it or anything like that. No but, yeah. soy sauce, no no beef sticks, no giant prawns. That is affirmative. <laughs> That's never going to get old. It's never going to get old. Uh, all right, well, uh, I went and got another growler today from, uh, from my favorite brewery, Ridgewalker, in uh, Forest Grove. Uh, so this is their uh, their night hike black IPA. So I mean, it looks like a stout or a porter, but this is an IPA here, and it's really good, really smooth, but it still has that I- IPA bite to it. So uh, 
I'm liking it. I'm liking it. So, uh, Very nice. so yeah, cheers. It looks like if death was personified as a drink, you know, like if Max von Sydow and the Seventh Seal brought you a drink, it looks like that would be the drink. <laughs> yes. Actually, Todd, it kind of tastes like Irish death. That, that's kind of a, a similar flavor to that one, which I've had on the podcast before. All right. Well, uh, we are coming at you. Uh, we're recording September 13th, Sunday. As you can tell, we're talking a little bit of football. It is Sunday. It's 5 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, we have uh, some movies we're going to talk about. We've got a Mount Rushmore to do, uh, kind of themed around this weekend. And we have uh, some uh, great power rankings uh, that uh, should be a lot of fun to look at. Um, if you haven't done so already, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or Pandora or all of them. I mean, that, that works too. Just subscribe on all of them. Uh, and uh, also give us a review if you would like. That would be awesome. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Uh, hit the like and follow buttons there. Uh, before we get into what we're going to be doing... Let's talk about what we've uh, been watching this week. So, Zach, you're first. Uh, you know, nothing too serious to report this week. I watched on Amazon Prime, um, Brittany Runs a Marathon, which I believe was made for Amazon Prime, or made by Amazon. It is a, a film from last year directed by Paul Downs Colasio, whose previous credit was an episode of MacGyver, the TV series, I, I guess the reboot. I didn't even realize there was a reboot of it, which is interesting. And it stars... Um, uh, what's her name? Oh, yes, Jillian Bell as Brittany, uh, who, as at the beginning of the movie, it's kind of like she lives Amy Schumer's life in Trainwreck. She uh, is an alcoholic who parties, and she's overweight, and she's broke. Um, she's so sort of a mess. And then over the course of the movie, she sort of discovers that um, when she jogs, it gives her a greater sense of purpose and discipline. And the movie kind of looks at, over the course of one year in her life, where she um, has the goal of running a marathon, the New York City Marathon. Um, I like this movie. I thought it had a pretty interesting premise. I'm a jogger. I, I could relate to a lot of the things that this actress went through. Um, apparently, it's based on a true story. Um, the movie, I think, tries to um, be... <clears throat> Uh, tasteful in the sense that it doesn't just want to advocate uh, working out to lose weight. So at about the hour mark, uh, Brittany actually stops jogging because it becomes too consuming and she actually kind of turns into a jerk. And that's also kind of when the, I lost sort of interest in the movie. It goes into too many kind of soapish subplots with some of the other characters and it sort of loses focus. But up to that point, I don't know, I thought this was like a pretty good like 55 minute uh, movie before it came overly involved and overly serious. Um, it's, a, it's a two and a half star movie it's available on amazon prime We're worth checking out if you like this kind of train wreck sort of comedies all right all right I, when i saw that movie and kind of saw the premise of it i immediately what i thought of was it was like the female version of run fat boy run with simon Pegg. is it, does it relate at all and is it which one's better i have Todd, not, you may need to answer yeah, this todd needs to answer uh i mean pretty similar i guess yeah uh I don't know. I'm not really crazy about either movie, but yeah, I mean that's a good call. I hadn't I hadn't put that together. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, actually, I put it together as Zach was talking. I'm like, oh yeah, this kind of sounds like Run Fat by Run, but that one that one plays a lot more as just a slapstick with a little bit of heart. This sounds like it's a lot more heart with a little bit of slapstick. So, that's that's pretty accurate. <clears throat> okay. All right, uh, Todd, what'd you watch? Uh, so my Nicolas Cage movie of the week was the 2017 Stephen C. Miller movie called Arsenal. 
Uh, I didn't even know this was a movie until I watched it. Uh, I was gonna say, where do these movies come from? <laughs> he's got he's got a boatload of them. Uh, it's about these two brothers, played by Adrian Grenier and Jonathan Shach. Shach, yeah. Uh, their names JP and Mikey, and who are like uh, inseparable brothers. But then after uh, their childhood, one grows to, to be like a small time hood, and the other one uh, goes the legit route and owns his own business. And when Mikey refuses to do a deal for his crime boss, which is, of course, played by Nicolas Cage. Named, his character's name is Eddie King. Uh, he gets kidnapped and held for ransom, and the brother, other brother has to um, try to rescue him with the help of John Cusack's character of Mikey. Uh, no, it's not. A friend of Mikey. No, I don't know. Well, he's, uh, he's like a small-time detective or whatever, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's trying to save his brother's life. And the movie has a 3% on Rotten Tomatoes, which actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's got, like, these lame, like, childhood flashback things to make us try to care about these characters or, like, give us a reason to. Uh, and But Nicolas Cage is definitely a supporting character, almost like in Kiss of Death style, where uh, we, we just always want to see more of him, but we don't get to because he's not the main character. He's got this fake nose, he's got a fake hair, he's got this really weird mustache, and, like, a a mumbling voice and he freaks out as much as he did like in deadfall like with the uh, screaming randomly and just crazy nicholas cage antics uh it was awesome watching him flip out like real flip out again um the colors in the movie are kind of fascinatingly bad like uh and the the violence is so brutal and it's in slow motion it's almost like watching like a southern noirish version of 300 and it's even more awkward than that sounds uh it revolves itself <laughs> And resolve the stuff way too quickly. Uh, it's it's funny watching Cage and Cusack in movies now because uh, like their first one that they were in together was Con Air. Then they did The Frozen Ground, and now Arsenal. And uh, just like their careers, their movies are getting progressively worse. <laughs> but uh, it's a one and a half star movie, and I'm only giving it that high because uh, Nicholas Cage really does uh, give some something. There, he gives something. I don't even know if it's a performance, but it is something. Wow, that that's. That that is about as glowing of a recommendation as you can give. There, Nicolas Cage does something. You should just watch the clips of him. It's like it really is like watching him do Dudfall. Like it is. I mean, he has some amazing flip outs. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Well, you need to give us the spec- uh, spectrum. What, what's it better <clears throat> than and worse than? It can't well, I mean, be better than Dudfall. No, I don't think it's as good as Dudfall. Yeah, yeah, it's right. I don't know. I, I I guess I didn't uh, I didn't come up with. Uh, I'd have to look at my one and a half star Nicolas Cage <laughs> movies. Maybe that is around Zandali or something. Zandali and Deadfall. It, it definitely deserves its place as like a, an early '90s like trashy movie that went like straight to video. Instead, it's a 2017 movie that went straight to video. Yeah, or more like straight to streaming for free. Straight somewhere. to streaming, whatever whatever <laughs> it was. Oh gosh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, my watch this week, it was my anniversary watch, uh, a lot more serious than what you guys did, uh, because my, my watch was the, uh, the winner of the Best Documentary uh, Oscar at the 2010 Oscars, Inside Job. Um, looking at the, uh, the 2008 um, housing crisis and uh, financial chaos that led to, the, led to the recession that we had, uh, this is a fascinating movie. Uh, I will say it's one that um, you really, you really have to pay attention to, because if you're, uh, it it's really 
a lot of times it's really kind of high talk and uh, really kind of technical in, in some of the terminology and how it talks about things and it moves really quick. So if you're if you're not paying close attention, you could really get confused in a hurry of what actually is going on. Um, but it's a fascinating look. Some of the interviews they get are really interesting, as, especially as they, um, as the, um, as the people who are being interviewed start to realize the direction that the that the uh, the director is going in this and how they get defensive and things. Um, I'm giving it three and a half stars. Uh, I think I could imagine it was very very powerful in that moment because it was made kind of in the middle of the of the recession that was caused by what happened in 2008. Um, however, as I was watching it, I couldn't help but feel like, oh, this is the documentary version of The Big Short, because The Big Short basically talks about the exact same thing, just in a lot more entertaining fashion. Um, and, uh, and so I, I kept on thinking about, you know, this, this was so much more, it was so much easier to understand when it was being to told to me by Margot Robbie in a bathtub. So... Um, I mean, so instead we've got, you know, Matt Damon as a disembodied voice, which isn't bad, but, um, it, it's just, uh, it's not quite as entertaining as, you know, Steve Carell and, uh, and Christian Bale banging on drums and all sorts of stuff like that. So, uh, three and a half stars, a really important movie about a really important topic and, and just some of the, the corruption that was surrounding, uh, what happened in the financial world in 2008. Yeah, so I remember a few things about that movie. Number one, I believe it was in my top ten of that year. Um, number two is I remember the opening scene of that movie is about Iceland, if I remember correctly, and how yes. uh, their economic system was significantly better than ours for some reason. And I, and I remember sort of subconsciously thinking, okay, well, this must have been the inspiration for Michael Moore to make Where to Invade Next, which was his exploration of how countries other than the United States do better than us in the pre-Trump era. And then the other thing I remember is that Oprah uh, presented with the Oscar for Best Documentary. I don't know why I remember that, but... Yeah, it's your number three of 2010, Zach. I don't know if I would go that high. I mean, it's probably one of those, like, value on return. You know, I'm sure in 2010, everyone was thinking about the economic recession. In 2020, we're thinking about, you know, things like uh, infernal, uh, infernos and wildfires and COVID and, uh, you know, um, a dictator as president. So, in retrospect, maybe not, like, as huge of an issue, but um, I, I would be curious to see it again. Your uh, your number four of twenty ten was also a documentary. Do you know which one it was? Uh, the Tillman story. It was. I rem your number I ten of twenty ten was also a documentary. That I don't remember. Restrepo. Okay. Well, hey, twenty ten was a good year for documentaries. Oprah pointed that out at the Oscars, and I do think Charles Ferguson is a really talented fil uh, filmmaker. He also made a really good documentary called No. Uh, excuse me. Not. Um, he made. Uh, Oh, what was it called? It, no End in Sight, I believe was the name of it, which was also about the oh, Iraq yeah, War. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to know what he's doing these days. He, he should be out there. there pl plenty of fertile territory right now for some good documentary. Yeah, I still have two more to watch, two more of the documentaries to watch from that year. I haven't seen Restrepo yet, and Wasteland I haven't seen yet either. But the three I've watched, Inside Job is great. Exit Through the Gift Shop I watched years ago, and that one's amazing. And then Gasline I just watched maybe a month ago, and that one's amazing as well. So, yeah, it really was a great year for... Uh, for documentaries. All right. Well, it is time to get into our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. 
This is the most Zach movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And for that, we are uh, we watched this week uh, a 2020 release on Netflix. Uh, it's been around for a couple years. Made some uh, made some appearances at some film festivals as far back as 2018. Uh, but in March, this was released on Netflix. Uh, it is called Banana Split. Do you want to buy my corned beef sandwich? Uh-oh. You don't like my sandwiches, my music? I don't think that's how friends work. Maybe we shouldn't be anymore. We shouldn't be friends? We brought you food afterwards and you didn't even say thank you. Let's, Come on. This is cliche. Just smile. April, have your salmon. I'm not hungry. Mom, she's allowed to be depressed. Thank you. No one as good as Nick will ever love her again. Where did this Clara girl come from anyway? She's here. How come I've never heard of her? She's like moved here, so I'm just showing her around. And you thought, before I show her the Chinese theater, she should see Nick's penis? Hi, you're April. Uh-huh. Do you want to go do a shot? Why are you being so nice to me? I want a reason to give you a black eye. God, your eyes are pretty. What about when he grabs your boob like a tightly sealed jar? <laughs> what about when he refers to his dick as a Quidditch stick? He hasn't done that with me. <clears throat> I think we should make some rolls. I concur. First roll, no talking about Nick. Second roll, no telling Nick. Are you gonna tell him? Are you a rat? Benjamin, do you wanna know what happens to rats? They get shanked in their sleep. They get their carbon monoxide detectors disabled. Yeah. You guys are perfect for each other, you know that? You're my best friend. You're my best friend. I think about you all the time. You've exhibited very little personal growth. Who are you rebounding with? It's just like this girl. Oh, it's not what I meant. Uh, so Zach, I'm going to you first today. Tell us all about uh, Banana Split and what you thought. Okay, so going into Banana Split, I was uh, dubious because the last few times in this podcast that we've reviewed uh, teen comedies, they just haven't, I, I have not really enjoyed them. We reviewed All Together Now a few weeks ago, which I really didn't like. And then there was that other one about the girl and sort of the Cyrano de Bergerac thing and she lived at the train station. I can't even remember what that was oh, called. Oh, the you half of it. Yeah, the half. You both liked it. You both liked both those movies better than I did. I don't know. I think it's actually like really hard to make good teen comedies today. I don't know why, but like I feel like it's... It's just, I don't know, maybe maybe it's that teens are all on you know on their phones and maybe that's just inherently uncinematic or whatever. So I was dubious going into Banana Split, and I will say the first 10 minutes of this movie kind of like reiterated my fears. It's sort of it's it sets up this um, this sort of uh, environment where we have uh, Hannah Marks playing April, who is who has just graduated high school and she is in love with Nick, her boyfriend, played by Dylan Spruce Sprouse. And uh, they are in love, and, but uh, sadly they're going to different universities and their relationship sort of ends. Um, but to, somewhat to, uh, and then to April's chagrin, um, he, he starts dating someone else named Clara, played by Liana <coughs> Liberato. And um, 
but but to but to April's shock and maybe to everyone's shock, uh, she actually finds Clara to be an interesting person. And the movie is really about how these two girls uh, kind of bond in spite of the fact that one was dumped by this boy and the other is currently dating. It's basically like the exact same scenario as Enough Said, except instead of the focus being on the the relation the the, the male female relationship, it's about the female female relationship. I have to say, I was really impressed by this movie. I mean, after a rocky start, I think this was actually a very intelligent, really thoughtful movie. And, you know, a couple years ago, Booksmart came out. And I was not, I know Todd was a big fan of it. I wasn't the world's biggest fan of it. Again, just characters that didn't feel very authentic to me. This was the movie, this is the movie that Booksmart should have been. It is R-rated, it is raunchy, but it is also really sweet. And I think it actually does a really good job at looking at this kind of complex relationship and how, you know, these two girls have to establish boundaries. They don't want to talk about uh, Clara's relationship with Nick, but as we all know, you know, when you, when you put, when he does things under the rug, they tend to come back to haunt you. And there's just sort of these inevitable circumstances when this uh, awkward uh, situation is brought up. Um, But, you know, in spite of that, I think this movie does also a really good job of not having the male gaze on these two uh, young female characters. Um, There is a sort of, I would say, sexual tension between them necessarily but it isn't explored in a way that's that's raunchy or vulgar it's actually I think a really fascinating and complex study Um, I think it's also really cool that this movie is about the time right after high school and right before college I think that explains a lot of what the characters do because they have jobs and they're they're definitely sexually active but it isn't in a way that is unrealistic uh, for teenagers I think this movie actually grounds it in, in a lot of realism so um, I sort of loved this movie. I thought it was intelligent, sharp, really funny, and unexpected. And uh, again, the relationship between the, the two uh, main a- actors in this movie, Hannah Marks and Leanna Liberato, always felt real to me. And um, they had this great dynamic on the phone where they text each other as Brad Pitt and George Clooney, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, this, Like I said, this is the movie that Booksmark should have been. I give it a solid three and a half stars. Really, really enjoyable movie that I was rooting for the whole time and was was pretty much uh, completely uh, completely enjoyed the whole time. All right. So three and a half stars from Zach. Todd, what do you think? <laughs> I, I mean, I have no idea what Zach's talking about. I mean, it's, it is not a good movie. Like, wow. there's no authenticity. It is, it's trying to be book smart, but it fails in almost every possible way. Like, it ends up being this, like, wannabe high school version of an Aubrey Plaza dry comedy, but not as funny. Like, all the characters are annoying, and it doesn't dwell on the ones that are interesting, like the friend Ben, or the, the guy at the movie theater that she works with, or the, the, the foul-mouthed sister. Like, I, I don't know. And, like, I, I don't really care about the characters either. The beginning is way too fast. It just, like, drops us in there and makes us think that we're supposed to follow these characters, and I... I, I never felt like I cared at all, and, and the movie is just really shallow, and it's kind of lame and kind of boring, and we also randomly get, like, another doing psychedelics in Palm Springs, which looks like the same rock that they were by in Palm Springs. I thought that was really weird. Uh, I, don't, I don't really buy how everything played out. I mean, it is, I guess, trashily watchable, like an, a failed HBO pilot or something like that, but it's not funny. I mean, I, I'm always, I would thought I was being generous when I gave it two stars. Wow, okay. Alright, so Zach gave it three and a half. Todd gave it two. I am base I am basically on the exact same page as Zach. Yes! I, I thought almost the exact same thing Zach did. Even down to like the first ten minutes, yeah, we're we're like, okay, this is just gonna be another one of these teen movies. And then it turned into something completely different. And it was fun and it was different, and I liked 
Um, Zach, you said it, it was something that a lot of these teen movies try to be but never get there, and I think it's because it didn't care and just was an R-rated movie. Mm-hmm. Like, like so many times, high school movies, they try to make it PG or PG-13, and when because that's, you know, a 16-year-old can only see a PG-13 movie, but a 16-year-old, more often than not, is R-rated. And so, the, just go for it. And that, that's what this movie did. I thought it was really fascinating that it was written by the star of the movie, Hannah Marks, who played April. Um, and I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, see what she uh, does moving forward. Uh, yeah, I saw a lot of... This is like the movie that Altogether Now was trying to be and couldn't get to. Um, I, I thought it was really funny that Hannah Marks is like a dead ringer for Nassim Pedrad, which made me think of how terrible Desperados was again. That movie we had we watched a few weeks ago too. Um, she's like somewhere in between, like Nassim Pedrad, Aubrey Plaza, and Lorelai Linkletter from Boyhood. Like you put those three together and you get Hannah Marks in this movie. Um, but yeah, I love the interaction between the two of them. I loved all the uh, the minor characters. It was great to see uh, Jacob Batalon in something other than Spider Man uh, as the manager of the of the movie theater. I thought he was really funny. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm giving it three and a half stars too. I, I did notice, okay, so I've got a couple conspiracy theories about this. I, as I was watching it, the psychedelic Palm Springs scene, I was like, okay, when are they going to, um, find the, the fiery cave? Mm-hmm. I had, I, I, that, that had to pop into your head. And then here, here's or the really the deep. Dinosaurs. Or, J- or see the dinosaurs. Or J.K. Simmons come up and, you know, <laughs> sling an arrow at them. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's a crazy, here's a crazy conspiracy theory though. Okay, uh, April's mom, her Toria. name is Susan, played by Jessica Hecht. Okay, so here's the conspiracy theory. Yes, it's Victoria. It is also Carol's lesbian lover and friends named Susan. And who is Carol and Ross's kid? Ben, played by Dylan Sprouse. I mean. This is kind of crazy how this all kind of goes full circle here. So you've got, you've got now, now Susan's daughter later on is dating Ross's son. What? Or Carol's son, Ross and Carol's son. This is like full circle, crazy friends, conspiracy theory here. I I had to think of it as as it was going along. Probably the only one that did, but. (laughs) That's safe to say. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it is a little weird, though. It is a little weird. But no, I love this movie. I loved it. Three and a half stars. You know, one of the things I loved about it is, maybe this is my conspiracy theory a little bit, but I think there's al- there's almost a more dramatic, part, darker part to this movie that isn't really acknowledged. And really, what I think this movie is about is that time in your life when you start realizing that it's not easy to make friends and it's not easy to find people that you really like hanging out with. And I think that's something that happens to both of these girls over this summer, particularly the April character, because she has a couple other friends in the movie, but she's realizing that they are, you know, very kind of superficial um, friends. And it's, it's that time that you realize that the people that have meaning in your life and that you can talk to easily um, are rare and, and they're hard to find. And I think this movie is very much about you know, the valuing that friendship and that time in your life when you realize that. So again, just, you know, the movie's funny. It doesn't really have a scene that, that says that explicitly, but I just kept thinking about that as I went along watching this movie. And you saying that made me think it's also part Ladybird then too. 
You guys are naming good movies. Like, this is not a good movie. Like, these people are, like, late 20s playing high school kids. And that, I mean, that's, that's true. I mean, it's they distracting. They don't look like high school kids. They don't, they don't act like high school kids. I mean, why couldn't these people have been in college at least? I mean, th- then it would make sense why she's making this movie. I'm more, I mean, because when, like, I don't know, when the girl that wrote and starred in 13 did that, I mean, she was at least still a teenager. I mean, I, this is, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I well, it was I, made like two or three years ago, too. So they were, you know, mid-20s. early to mid 20s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Which is what, like, the age of, like, everyone that plays a high schooler in, in Hollywood. I mean, let's face it. In Booksmart, they were at least, I mean, they were at least, like, 20 or something. I mean, if that. But Booksmart was uh, yeah. about, but in Booksmart, they all, in Booksmart, they all had friends. They all just hung out with each other. It was not a struggle to find friends because they all just were happy and they all went to no, high they, school together. You're not, dude, you're not even thinking about the right movie. They had one friend and it was each other. Because right, that was the problem nerds. with books. But then, why were they at the party in Booksmart? Why, why were, why were they all in this big social group? Like this movie is quietly about social alienation. They go to parties in this movie too. Well, yeah, and it's very uncomfortable at this party in this movie. Yeah, it's way more uncomfortable in Booksmart when they have a, a like a, a emotional breakdown in front of everybody that they don't even like. Just like I mean, I don't know. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what your thing is with Booksmart. You need to rewatch that movie. I still need to see that movie. Terry needs should should be the tiebreaker on it because Terry's the voice of reason with this movie. A, but but you're right, Todd. I have they, a feeling I might be they, assigned a book smart to watch for two weeks from now. They they do look a little old for this movie, Todd. I, I, I do agree with what you're saying, but I think they're good performances nonetheless. The I mean, one the kid thing was I in said, Big Daddy say... twenty years ago, and he was like <laughs> eleven or nine or something. That I mean, come All on. Right, the, yeah, the one thing I would say is is a little distracting is uh, Dylan Sprouse is like his look is like stereotypical perfect douchebag in this movie, but they really do everything they can to make him not. But in the end, he still looks like a douchebag. Yeah, uh, that was the one thing I found distracting. But I loved, I loved everything else. It was just awesome. All right, I thought this was gonna be an easy thrice approved, and Todd ruined it. So, boo. <laughs> well, if if uh, if you if any of this sounds interesting, it's on Netflix. It's easy to find. It's been out for a while, so you'll have to you'll have to search for it. But uh, Zach and I think it's worth a watch. Todd, not so much. Todd just says go watch Booksmart again. Or uh, or all together now. What'd you get? Didn't you give all together now two and a half? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so you definitely... think this is a better movie, or this is not a worse movie than Altogether Now? That yeah, correct. And the half wow. of it's definitely better. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> I mean, I love I love both those movies too, but I think this one's better. Okay, all right. Well, there you go. So uh, yeah, it's on Netflix. Check it out, or don't if you like Todd Moore. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> wow, I did not I did not see that coming. I did not I thought man, this is going to be for the first time in so long we're going to agree on a movie and I actually nope, you know nope. like 45 minutes into this movie I was thinking this is like a borderline Todd movie in a lot of ways. It has some components of movies that Todd likes, which is like dark humor and kind of subversive raunchiness a little bit and I guess it just never materialized. Like I said, it wanted to be an Aubrey Plaza movie. Like, I mean, it, it kind of reminded me of Ingrid Goes West. It does like, have a, l- a little in, bit of that. In the I fringe, agree. but, yeah, it never gets there. It never achieves that level of dark, twisted comedy that she uh, has uh, perfected. 
Okay. It's Mount Rushmore time. Spotlight. All right. Today uh, was uh, the first, or was week one, first Sunday of uh, NFL. Yesterday was uh, the kickoff for a lot of a lot of college football teams, not the Big Ten or the uh, or the Pac-12. However, I did tweet out. I mean, which which conference looks worse right now, the Big Ten not playing or the Big Twelve playing like that? I, I think that it's a good question to, to be had. Anyways, all this to be said, we're doing a Mount Rushmore of football movies uh, to honor the fact that football is starting. And uh, let's see here. I'm going to go first with my submission uh, because I realize I haven't watched a whole lot of football movies. And so I want to take one that I really like before you guys start snatching up all the weird ones. And so uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with the one I probably... I probably should have gone with when we did the uh, the Blackled biop- biopics, and that's Remember the Titans. Uh, th- this is like classic, awesome childhood nostalgia movie. I could still probably quote most of it. Uh, Denzel Washington, Will Patton, um, Gary Bertier. The actor doesn't actually have a real name. His name is just Gary Bertier. Um, uh, a really, really, really young Ryan Gosling before anybody knew who he was as well as um, Donald Faison. I guess people had known him from Clueless at this point. But it's just a great movie about um, about kind of the brotherhood that's formed on a football team and how that can that can break all, all barriers and boundaries. Um, and it, it, it's one of the better, like, real-life story Disney movies, especially in the sports realm, that they've done, like, ever. So Remember the Titans is my pick for... Uh, for uh, our football Mount Rushmore. All right, uh, Todd, you're next. Uh, yeah, good choice. Um, I went with, my, I mean, the movie to me that feels like football that doesn't actually have any f- football scenes in it is the one I'm choosing, and that is Big Fan, the Patton mm. Oswalt movie, and he he plays like this like uh, parking garage attendant who likes to. Uh, just spend all night calling into sports radio shows and arguing with Philadelphia Phil, who's played by Michael Rappaport, who's like this Philadelphia Eagles fan who calls into New York radio just to like troll the listeners. And uh, eventually, uh, uh, Pat Oswalt's character uh, follows his favorite player into a strip club and gets assaulted by him. And so he's got to try to decide whether he's going to press charges or he's going to uh, not so that he could still play. Uh, I've named my uh, fantasy football teams in the past after Quantrill Bishop, who is the football player in the movie, and uh, I, I, I watch this movie like at least once a year, like before before football season. This is a movie that gets me excited, and because it's about the ultimate fandom kind of thing. It's it's the kind of movie that like Celtic Pride and the fan really wanted to be. Like this is it's a great movie and one of the one of the best movies of uh, 2010. And uh, yeah, so I'm going big fan. It doesn't actually feature any football scenes, but it is football through and through. I like the shout out to Celtic Pride, man. That that's a that's a deep dive right there. All right. So we've got Remember the Titans. We've got Big Fan. Zach, where are you going? That's a great call, Todd. I also like how that movie gets dark. Like it goes to dark places in that movie. That you don't like. You assigned that movie to me, I think, as a trivia about a year ago, and I really enjoyed it too. And like, I was surprised how dark it went. It, It was. But you know what? It was it was almost like death to smoochy kind of Robin Williams Bobcat Goldweight territory dark. But it was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
Uh, well, I'm glad you didn't take mine. I really only had two on my list. One of them has been mentioned. I'm going to go with uh, the other low-hanging fruit for me, which is Rudy. I mean, you know, I, we're not the world's biggest Notre Dame football fans. I get that. But uh, Rudy is essential viewing. Um, and, you know, Sean Astin's performance as Daniel E. Rudy Rudiger is one of the great sports performances of all time. I don't think this movie gets dull. I don't think this movie gets stale. I think it is a rags to riches story that what what's awesome about it is is, you know, uh there not a whole lot of the movie actually is football. That's only really the last 15 minutes of this movie. Most of this movie is Rudy's struggles for acceptance, first of all to get into Notre Dame, then to get to get on the practice squad, then to find social acceptance among all these peers at Notre Dame, then to admit to himself that, you know what, maybe I can be academically uh talented if I really try to apply myself. And then the moment that he gets on the football field is, I mean, I'm I'm sorry, but you know what? I tear up when I when I see the, the the end of that movie. It is a classic ending. The Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack I have on my phone. It's great jogging music. Um, when he when he makes that tackle at the end of the movie, it's one of the great moments in movie history. So that's the low hanging fruit. I gotta go with it. It's a classic. I love how the big climax of that movie isn't you know he wins the championship, but he he gets into a game like that's all it took like, like it's almost like it's almost like the end of rocky where it's like i just want to prove that i'm i'm worth it and that's all rudy ever wants to do prove that he's worthy of being on the field and and he well, does that's that. really and, similar to a lot better movie which is invincible <laughs> like the climax of that movie is not the winning the championship <laughs> or anything it's like him like making the team and like com- recovering a fumble that was like given to him now wait a second it's one thing to say book smart is better than um, you know, oh, I'm not a split. fan of Rudy. I, I don't even give. You're it a saying Invincible is better than Rudy? Re- Invincible is the best actual football movie. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's not close. Like of all the movies that feature a lot of football, it uh, it gets football better than uh, than all all the other ones, and it feels like football when you're watching it. Wow, I haven't seen Invincible. Yeah, Loki, I haven't either. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, so I guess, so I guess if Todd wins, yeah, we're watching Invincible. You better win trivia. Well, you've never Zach. seen Big Fan either, Terry, have you? I haven't seen Big Fan either. No, I, I apparently I'm going to be assigned some uh, some football movies to watch. All right, well this this is going to lead to a fun conversation. We've got one more to pick, so we've got we've got Remember the Titans, we've got Big Fan, we've got Rudy. Uh, what what's going to be the the joint decision we're going to go with here? I've got a few that I have written down, but um, I wrote down the, the two, I have six more written down. Okay, I've, the the two main ones I've written down are The Waterboy and Jerry Maguire. And Jerry Maguire was one of the ones on my list, too. I, 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 well, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta shout out Waterboy, too. I mean, it's, it's goofy, it's ridiculous, but, I mean, it's, it's Bobby Boucher and Adam Sandler at his most ridiculous, and, and Henry Winkler, man, uh, him as the coach is just awesome, so... Yeah. I, I'd be happy to, to go with that. What do you got, Todd? Uh, well, yeah, I had Jerry Maguire. My other one that I have pretty high is Everybody's All-American, which is the Taylor Hackford movie with John Goodman and Dennis Quaid. Probably Dennis Quaid's, like, best leading role he ever Isn't had. Isn't that Tom Cruise, too? No. Isn't he in that? that no. He's what in all I the right moves. That's the one I'm thinking of. Okay. Everybody's All-American maybe is a little bit more obscure, but I, I've always really liked that movie. And also have bo- both versions of The Longest Yard are both di- worthy of being... Uh, Considered along with any given Sunday, Brian's song and Heaven Can Wait. 
Like, which I think is the only best picture nominated football movie other than Jerry Maguire. All right. Zach, did you have any others? Well, you know, back in the old days, I was a really big fan of the 2014 Patriots uh, Super Bowl Blu-ray. That was going to be my submission, but then I decided to no longer support them. Um, but in all seriousness, I was going. I, I thought of um, Silver Linings Playbook and Little Giants would, would be my submissions. Silver Linings. Have you guys not watched football call. movies? No, I have not. I, I've not seen Everybody's All American. I haven't Todd. seen a lot of them. <laughs> Believe it or not, have you not even not seen The Longest Yard or Any Given Sunday. No. I've seen the newest Longest Yard. I've not seen any given Sunday. But (laughs) it sounds like we have to go with Jerry Maguire because that's the only one that the three of us have seen. But I, I, I look, I mean, I think Silver Linings Playbook has a lot of very realistic things about football fandom, which if I mean, if Todd's going to put in big fan, I think we can we can apply the moniker of football movies to be about fandom as well. And Silver Lines Playbook has has some very accurate stuff in it. And I mean, that speech by Jennifer Lawrence at the end of the movie probably won her her Oscar. And she mentions the Seahawks in that speech. So there you go. (laughs) Losing to the Eagles, I believe. Well, we already have a movie about fandom in there, though. So let's let's uh, you make valid points, Zach. That's true. But we already have a fandom movie, so yeah, I say Jerry Maguire. It, it takes it from a completely different standpoint, and it's one of those movies that I think everyone can watch and appreciate on some level. Like, like it, it's it's a it's a date movie. It's a football movie. It's uh, it, everyone is going to enjoy it in some in some fashion. So, yeah, I'm I'm going Jerry Maguire. That sound good to you, Todd? Yeah, yeah, that was my number two choice overall. So, yeah. perfect. All right, so we've got we've got remember the Titans, big fan, Rudy and Jerry Maguire, and uh, yeah, I guess we're gonna have to watch a little more football movies. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what you do, Zach. Every podcast you talk about a new football movie you've watched. Hey, I've seen Big Fan. You haven't even seen it. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Okay. I like that that Mount Rushmore. I think that's a good one. All right, power rankings time. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. All right, so two weeks ago on power rankings, we uh, we had, I thought it was an awesome category that we had a lot of fun with. The one downside to the category is there was no way we were ever going to predict anything that Adam said about it. So, we did. nobody though. got points. What? We did. I mean, I got like four things right on his list. Yeah, but nothing was exactly right, and I don't know. Anyways, it was kind of decided that we were going to not award any points, and that uh, Adam was going to be able to pick our next uh, Power Rankings topic, and I'm kind of glad he did. Because he picked something that we needed to do for a while, and we've all been trying to be way too cute with our power rankings of the last decade. And now we've got a really good one uh, that's just a solid best animated films of the 2010s. That's what we're counting down today, uh, and uh, and this should be good. This should be good. So, uh, I'm going to Todd first. Todd, best animated films of the 2010s, what's your number five? Uh, my number five is the Zack movie of all Zack movies, Anomalisa, which is directed by Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson. Uh, it is 
absolutely Charlie Kaufman craziness, existential overtones, everything. He's it's about a motivational speaker who meets this lady and uh, he she helps him find like new inspiration and purpose. And the uh, voice work's done by David Thewlis and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. And it looks different than almost any animated movie I've ever seen. It's like a rare, like, hard R animated movie. Some crazy shit happens almost in, like, a sorry to bother you kind of way. And uh, technically, it probably should be my number two. But I've only seen it once, and I need to revisit it. Especially because Zach actually said that he hated it. So uh, maybe I was overdoing it the first time. But I do I do genuinely love the movie, and it's my number five. All right. All right. Yeah, one of the biggest disagreements we ever had. And I was personally offended when Todd told me to see it because he told me it was a Zack movie. I mean, it's one thing to, to, to recommend to go see a, a bad movie. That's forgivable. But to call it a, a, a Zack movie when I hated it as much as I did was sort of a slap in the face. But I, do, I will have to say, though, the Tom Noonan song in that movie that he sings over the end credits is a great song. Best part of the movie. And I have it on my iPhone. None of them are you. Great song. Should have been nominated for an Oscar. I have not seen Anomalisa yet. I think it so is it's... worthy of a deep dive. Oh, God. Why did I just say that? No, let's never do that. <laughs> <laughs> it would be fun to talk about, though. You should see it, Terry. Okay. Okay. All right. Zach, you're number five. Okay. God, did I try so hard on this freaking list to keep Disney off of it? I... And I can't. I can't do it. I'm so sorry. You can't do it. I you tried. Just can't do it. Oh my god! I wanted to be artsy fartsy. I wanted to go, you know, French Studio Ghibli all over. Get some Russian movies in there. I couldn't do it. I'm, I have to be honest on these lists. I couldn't do it. So my number five is Inside Out. It was oh, really? My, it, <laughs> that's it, a, it was. That's new. <laughs> it was. It was. You know. Hey, you know what? It's it's a funny, it, it's a great movie, and um, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Everyone's seen it. Everyone loves it. I'm not going to add anything more because Disney made, you know, a, a billion dollars off of it. I hate Disney movies, but but this was the one that this was the one animated Disney movie that I could get behind because it, it was it was cute and uh, it had a good message. And um, I even liked it so much that I watched the Disney short Riley's First Date that came out uh, after this movie. So that's saying something, right? I don't think I've seen that yet. I gotta look that up. Pixar and Disney are different. I, I would never say that they're in the same category. Alright. Well, uh, on to me for my number five. So, I, I, I did some math here. Um, from the last decade, I have seen 34 animated films. And I must really like animated films because 26 of them I gave thumbs up to. So, uh... I, I, I either I only see the good ones or, uh, or I just really like animated films. I don't know. I think animated films are just overall really good. Um, and my list was actually pretty easy to put together because over the last decade I gave five four stars to animated films. So that's my list. Uh, number five on my list is the movie that's kind of embarrassing to say that I have four stars now, but at it I still I stand by it because it's an amazing movie and that's Frozen. Uh, I think this this was such a great movie, so entertaining, yet so much heart. Uh, approach things in a different way. Uh, the music is outstanding. Um, the the voice work is great from all the different people that are involved in it. Um, I, everyone's seen it, like, like Zach said, everyone's seen this movie. Um, I, everyone's seen it to the point that they're annoyed with it now because, you know, everyone played the music incessantly for so long 
But I still love it. It's such a good movie. It's just a solid, solid, great, great movie. Uh, so yeah, Frozen's my number five. Much better than Frozen 2. I didn't even see Frozen 2. Frozen 2's not bad. Frozen 2's not bad. The first one's better. It it it, it uh, introduced to the world Adele Hazib. Where was that joke, Terry? Ad- Come on, Adele Hazib. You're letting us up. You're letting us down. <laughs> and I I would say like possibly like top three greatest comic relief roles in or characters in Disney animated history is Olaf. Has to be. Has to be. I mean he he's he's the best. He's the best. Okay. That's Todd. Not, that's quite a claim, but okay. Yeah, I was gonna say even like, even that's... Todd was like, "Well, I don't know about that." That's let's settle down a little bit. Like like supporting comic relief characters in Disney animated movies. Yeah, I'm gonna say he's like top three, top five. Well, um, among who? I don't know. Like like like, all those... like Sebastian, Genie, uh... Timon and Pumbaa, Sebastian. That's already three. Timon, Timon and Pumbaa are like one though. They they they're one. They they're not two separate people. They're they come. They come as a pair. <laughs> Anyways, Todd, number four. All right. So one thing I, I should say about my list, I I went with only one movie per studio, and there were only two that were sort of in flux with my four and five. So I it didn't actually have to shift it that much. But I was actually able to do that, which I was kind of surprised that it was that easy. But my number Impressive. four is uh, the French movie April and the Extraordinary World. Uh, which is hand-drawn animation, which doesn't get done nearly enough anymore. Uh, Marion Cotillard is the main voice. She plays this young girl who goes on a journey in 1941 Paris to find her missing parents, and it's just, like, bursting with, like, imagination and, like, just beautiful visuals. There are some things that I'll never forget that I saw in this movie, and the the movie's interesting because it, like, sort of changes history. Like, everything's outdated at the time, and her parents are, like, these scientists who could have, like, changed the trajectory of history. So it's really sort of an important, um, like, mission that she's going on. Uh, yeah, but it, it, it's, a, it's a special movie, and um, I, I feel like it could have been popular in the United States if uh, if, it, if, if it was an American movie, but, but it wasn't. But I'm glad I saw it. That is impressive that you're able to go one from every studio. I was not able to do that. <laughs> well, I've seen a lot more than 34 animated movies I, I, I didn't yeah. count them but <laughs> I, I had a small enough number that I could alright I have not seen that movie Zach have you seen that one I have not alright well Zach what's your number 4 alright my number 4 is a movie that I would expect will also appear on other lists so you know I'll just kind of throw it out there you can say what you want I won't you know go over whatever you have to say about it but it is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse awesome movie a movie that never should have been as good as it as it was uh really you know i also have to say that it is a really nice slap in the face rebuke to marvel that this movie came out and was so much better than anything that the mcu could have ever possibly come out with um it's funny it's engaging from an artistic standpoint it is outstanding to just watch the different visual styles throughout the movie um i've actually seen it three times it is like i mean if i'm just kind of going purely from like a love standpoint this is this maybe should even be higher on my list but um it is just an awesome awesome movie and this is coming from someone who hates comic book movies and uh I don't know. Again, I don't want to tread on anyone's feet. I fully expect it to be on both of your lists. I'm sure it will be on Adam's list. Uh, without, if you don't include this movie on your list, you're it's a it's a major oversight. Great Nicholas Cage movie. 
That's true. <laughs> Better than um, Allegiant or whatever you saw. Arsenal. 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 <laughs> Not Allegiant a is from movie. a different. Allegiant's from a different uh, film franchise. Wasn't that one of the Divergent movies? Yes. It's also yeah, a really yeah. shitty airline to Vegas. <laughs> uh, all right, so I have to say, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is number six on my list. So it like it just... I didn't give it four stars initially, so I, I didn't want to put it up there. But I agree with everything you said. Like, super amazingly original, amazing, great movie. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. It, it just missed my honorable mention, but yeah, I, I do like the movie quite a bit. I just missed your honorable mention. Wow. Okay. Can All we? Right. Can, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Why can't you just make? Can you make another spot on your honorable mention? I mean, we didn't. We didn't <laughs> limit how many movies you could put on your goddamn honorable mention, right? <laughs> just put it on there. We all love it. I, it's a great movie. <laughs> I mean, it, it could make an appearance. Thank you. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> In Rails, we had arbitrary okay. quotas of honorable uh, mentions. Four. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, when you do your honorable mention with like something that's entertaining, like yeah, you could go off for fifteen honorable mentions, and it's not, it's not a like it doesn't get annoying because it's funny. But like this isn't one that I, I would just like spout off like twelve honorable mentions or anything. All right, number four on my list is uh, is uh, not uh, it's my first Pixar film. It is uh, part of a franchise. It is a film that should have ended this franchise, but didn't, unexplicably, and that is 2010's Toy Story 3. Um, it is. Uh, it was a Best Picture nominee, and for good reason. It, I mean, following Woody and Buzz was such a great time, and it put the perfect ending to the whole story of Andy going off to college and him having to, uh, to give away his toys. That ending will just... I mean, it... If you're one that, like, around our age that grew up with these characters and to watch him him hand them off and kind of pass the torch to somebody else, it, it, it's such an emotional moment. It's such a great, a great moment. Um, might be the best of the series. I, I, I'm not 100% sure on that, but uh, it had to make my list. Not Toy Story 4. That was just a crazy money grab. Toy Story 3 was Ooh. the true ending to the franchise, and uh, yeah, so it's it's number four. No need to shoot, like, have shots fired at, at <laughs> Toy Story 4, Terry. I mean, that... Yes, yes, there is, yeah. I mean, it, it's the same thing I said when we actually reviewed it. I said, yeah, it's fine, but why? Why? Why does this movie have to exist? And yeah, it finds an interesting story to tell, but you didn't have to tell it. You, you just needed to leave it. Look, leave it where it was. Caddyshack I mean, 2 is a money grab, not Toy Story 4. <laughs> yeah. Toy Story 4 is a money grab. Toy Story 4 was still, like, a, a piece of art. It was <laughs> like, thrice approved. Forky, I know it was thrice approved. It doesn't change the fact that it was an unnecessary sequel to finish or to ruin the perfect ending. I mean, you could say that about almost every Marvel movie, though. I mean, that it's just a, a necessary money grab that isn't as good as the original, right? Well, not necessarily. I mean, I, I, every time every time you have a decent movie that's like, oh man, that was such a great movie. Oh, you know what we should do? Ruin it with a sequel. They that's kind of what Toy Story anything. 4 felt like. 
It, it, it changed the ending of the whole story. The ending needed to end at Toy Story 3. And the fact that it didn't is just sad. Yes, Toy Story 4 is a good movie. I'd watch it again. But Toy Story 3 was was the perfect ending to um, to a series, and they felt like they needed to do more. Well, but Before Sunset was also the perfect ending, and they made another amazing movie after that, so that's all I'm saying. Yeah, but you could kind of see that coming, though. I was like, are they going to do it again? No one. No one was asking for Toy Story 4. No one was asking for Toy Story 3, either. Producers were. Money. <laughs> Money people. Hey, um, Toy Story. <laughs> I'm, che- I'm, I'm checking my list right now. Toy Story three just missed my honorable mentions. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Just missed. It was real there close. It. There it is, America. All right, uh, Todd, number three. My number three. Uh, another movie from France. It's My Life as a Zucchini from 2017 which is stop-motion animation. It's about this young boy whose uh, mother dies, so he's, like, sent to a foster home, and he befriends a police officer, but uh, he can't really relate to other orphans his age. It's it's a really emotional movie, and it might be the best orphanage movie that I've ever seen, and it's also one of the best French movies of the decade. It, I'm glad it was nominated at the Oscars, or I may never have come across it. It, it was in my tw- top ten of uh, 2017. It, it's a really, really great movie. I don't think either of you have seen it, have you? I have nope. not. Better orphanage movie than uh, Like Mike starring Lil Bow Wow and Jesse Clemens? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say the girl in that movie actually became a decent actress, too. I forget her name. But I've, I think I've seen her in other stuff. I think we need to do a power ranking of best orphanage movies. I, I can pretty much guarantee no other podcast has done that. <laughs> like, I mean, we got the original Rescuers. That's an orphan. We got Annie. We got even the, the Mary Kate and any, Ashley any Olsen Oliver, movie. Any it takes two. Twist. Yeah, any version of Oliver Twist. That's what I was going to say. There we go. Next All week. Right. Stay tuned. <laughs> sure. All right, Zach, number three. Okay, my number three is uh, what what uh, what Miles would tell Maya. It's a little more my speed. And that is the French movie from last year, I Lost My Body, J'ai Perdu Mon Corps. This was on my top ten list of last year. Uh, kind of like Todd with My Life is a Zucchini. Mo- really a movie I kind of randomly came across. Netflix was pretty um, aggressive and try and promote it back in December. And uh, I'm really glad I watched it. It's an awesome movie about this kind of disembodied hand that, uh, it's kind of like the, the, um, the character in, uh, Wings of Desire. It just kind of like observes sadly, like from a distance, all these kind of tragic things that happen to this character. Um, I, I think his name is Nufel and he's a pizza delivery man and he kind of falls in love with this woman who's also sort of a disembodied voice on the under, uh, other end of the line at this, ap- at this apartment complex that he's delivering pizzas to. I don't know. I mean, it's so ridiculous to describe this movie. It, it, it's hard to encapsulate the experience of watching it. It's actually really profound and pretty moving about the nature of relationships and excess and a little bit of um, obsession. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Decalogue 
Decalog Episode 6, except with the disembodied hands. So like Decalog 6 meets Adam's family or something like that. But it's actually really good. Um, very serious. Not a kid's movie at all. And uh, I think we need more adult animation in the world, which is why you know some of the best animation comes from countries other than, than the United States. This was nominated for Best Animated Film. Um, it's, an, it's an awesome movie. Yeah, I uh, I started that movie one time, but didn't get a chance to finish it, and I've never been, gotten a chance to get back to it, and I really want to, because it looked really fascinating. Yeah, it is really good. And I'm kind of bummed that the Netflix push for Best Animated went to Klaus last year instead of I Lost My Body. It would have been cool to see some random French animated adult movie make the Best Animated list instead of oh, some I'm sorry. random Santa movie. Was, that... it, was it nominated for animated film or, or international film? I'm sorry, did I mess that up? Did it? Was it nominated? Did it get the nomination? Yeah, I believe I'm it was nominated. Uh, it was. Yeah, it was, no, was, it was nominated it? for best animated film. Okay, it was nominated. Well, but it it was it was one of those that just kind of was you know happy to get nominated where Klaus was actually a contender, which is just boggled my mind. Um, yeah. Okay. That's a good pick. I really want. I really want to go back and and revisit that one and and get a chance to watch the rest of it. All right, number three on my list is uh, Pixar film number two, and that is Coco. Uh, I I loved this movie uh, when I saw it. It it's such a neat look at um, at kind of at the afterlife, I guess, and and a amazing look at uh, at Latin American culture, uh, exploring uh, this boy Miguel's journey through uh, uh, to the land of the dead on the Day of the Dead. And the celebration they have on Dia, Dia de los Muertos, um, and his obsession with music, and um, the music in it is amazing. Uh, and uh, I, the the heartfelt moment at the end of this, with uh, Miguel and his uh, his great grandmother, again is. I, Pixar knows how to how to tug at the heartstrings, and they have those scenes at the end of almost like every. Pixar movie that's worth anything, and and Coco has one of the best ones, and uh, and yeah, it, it's it's hard to not get emotional hearing uh, hearing him sing "Remember Me" to his great grandma. So, um, so yeah, Coco, just just amazing movie, outstanding movie. I loved it. It's my number three. Not only two Pixar, but two by the same director. Oh yeah, they are both Leon Critch. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, Todd, number two. Uh, my number two comes from uh, the Laika uh, studio, which is Kubo and the Two Strings from 2016, directed by Travis Knight. And Laika movies just are different. Uh, they, they feel different and they look different. And it's about Kubo. He's this young boy, and he's going on a quest to find uh, the armor worn by his father, who is the greatest samurai of all time, in order to, for him to be able to battle like gods and monsters who are threatening the world and existence. And the voice work is amazing. It's got like Rooney Mara, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Theron, and Ray Fiennes. Uh, it's a movie about visuals and, and ideas, and it's just an amazing, amazing movie. It's like the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon of animated movies. And it's also like the m most mature kids movie of the decade. And I, I feel like these movies about like quests don't get made all that often with animation they seem like such an easy sell like this is a this is a great movie and it was just a like a, a simple premise that they put together and it i mean it, it was a big hit and uh i i love this movie i've seen it a couple of times and uh 
Yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings is, is uh, Laika at its absolute best. Is it bad that I've never seen a Laika movie? Yeah, and you live, like, right by their studio. Yeah, their studio is in Hillsborough, and I've <laughs> never seen a Laika movie. <laughs> I yeah, need they, to do that. I, I need to watch Kubo. Three or four, like, really, really great movies. Well, cause, yeah, Kubo, um, Box Trolls, Coraline. Paranorman. It's another Paranorman. one. They were just nominated last year for Missing Link. Missing Link. Right, right, right. I was not a huge All fan right. of Missing Link, but I love Kubo in the Two Strings. That that is a good choice, Todd. Thank you. We agree on something in this podcast. Yes, of course. <laughs> like that Toy Story Four was money grab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. Terry said that. I'm sorry. We you we said don't. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, we agree on that. That it wasn't a money grab. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. I, th- I think uh, Zach is enjoying his effective old cheap wine. Um, <laughs> Zach, number two. Okay, number two. Now, now we're getting to serious shit. Okay, this this is now now we're now we're hitting the serious territory here. Number two comes from 2012, and uh, it's a movie that um, a lot of people had recommended to me. Sort of a cult movie. Uh, never really got a big release, as far as I can tell. And that is Don Hertzfeld's "It's Such a Beautiful Day." Don Hertzfeld is an animator who I believe worked on The Simpsons and a few other places. Um, and uh, he made a really funny short in 2000 that was nominated for an Oscar called Rejected. Um, it's Such a Beautiful Day is the story of Bill, who is basically a hand-drawn stick figure, almost stick figure. And this whole movie is essentially hand-drawn, although it incorporates a lot of really cool elements in it. And Bill sort of discovers along the way in this early in this movie that um, he's dying or he has some sort of abnormal brain malady that makes him hallucinate. It's never really fully explained, but um, basically, you know, he's a very kind of misanthropic character who's cynical and skeptical about the world. And then through this kind of process of undergoing, you know, this treatment, but also reconnecting with some of the people in his life, um, he realizes um, the uh, uh, awesomeness of the world. And it's really explored uh, through some amazing visuals. Um, there's no, there's only one character who speaks in this movie, and that is this sort of omnipresent narrator who at times sounds a little bit like Nicolas Cage, it must be said. But it is um, actually a really fantastic movie. Uh, visually, it's, it's pretty spectacular. It does things that I've never quite seen in any other animated movie. It's definitely not a kid's movie in any way. Um, but it has a sort of universal appeal to it. And um, like I said, it goes places you wouldn't expect. Uh, Hertzfeld is, a, is an insanely talented animator. And I don't know where he gets his ideas from. But this was a really awesome experience um, seeing it in a few years ago. And um, it's always stuck with me so it's it, it's an awesome pick uh in my opinion obviously it's my number two it's such a beautiful day i, I can't imagine recommending it and people not not liking it I, I i'm noticing a theme with your list it's in no way a kid movie has i think been mentioned on almost every single pick you've had except for like inside out <laughs> yes i believe there's a time there's a line in this movie where the main bill says he goes home and he masturbate masturbated for seven hours straight so i don't think that's quite uh, PG territory, but uh, it is a movie I think that mature teenagers can obviously absorb and really appreciate. Like Sausage Party. Exactly. <laughs> Not really, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alright, number two on my list was probably one of the biggest surprises of the entire decade, um, regardless of animated or not. Um, it looked like a fun movie going into it, and it turned out to be one of my favorite movies of the decade, and that's the Lego movie. Um, it was, it just kind of blew me away at, at how fun it was, how self-aware it was, how uh, self-deprecating it was, yet how much heart it had all at the same time. Uh, and then when you find at the end, you know, what the, what the piece of resistance is and what the craggle is and, and what's really going on and who President Business is. Um, and it kind of brings Isn't it full Lord circle. And, Lord, it's just, it both. It's both. There, there's <laughs> a Lord Business. I think he's Lord Business and President Business. Taco Tuesday! Um, anyways, um, but you see, you see what the whole thing is is about, and uh, and it really brings it full circle and uh, and ties it together nicely. And I, I just love it. And pretty much anyone who's worth it in Hollywood is in this movie. And uh, it shows why Chris Pratt is such a is such a great everyman as he's the main character in this. Um, again, it's kind of unfortunate that it launched a, a myriad of sequels and. Oh, these and, aren't money grabs. Oh, oh no! The, yeah, those are those are definitely money grabs too. Uh, I will say my son is obsessed with the Lego Batman movie, but I mean it's kind of hard to argue with Will Arnett talking. That was about a really being surprising Batman. performance by Will Arnett in that Lego Batman movie. Yeah, <laughs> surprising. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. So my number two, the Lego movie. Uh, everything is awesome. I don't. A Andy Samberg never got his Oscar nomination, didn't he? He didn't get it. No. Right. He no, he he wasn't. Which makes no sense. He literally wrote the lyrics to the to the to the song and didn't get the uh, the Oscar nomination. Ridiculous. Yeah. Oscar nominated Andy Samberg. That's what we should be talking about. Anyways, Lego Movie number two. That's a good choice. Wait, Lego Movie two or Lego Movie two is Lego awful. Movie is my number two. Oh, I, okay. I actually. I'm actually scared to watch Lego Movie Two. I've I, the only the only other Lego movie I've watched is Lego Batman, and it it's kind of ridiculous and stupid. Every time that Atticus wants to watch Lego Batman, I'm like, you 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 want to watch like Batman and Robin instead or Batman Forever? I showed him Batman Forever when we de did a deep dive of it, and and he kind of liked that, but he always goes back to Lego Batman for some reason. Oh, at, but speaking of Batman and Robin, or or no Batman Forever, uh. Uh, Adam actually texted me. I, I missed Ed Begley on the list of actors that were also in other deep dives that we've done because he's in uh, Batman Forever. Oh, yeah. Oh. Back to work, Edward. Mm -hmm. I think I gave That's him the call. award for best performance. I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Todd, number one. Yeah, it, my number one was easy. It's Toy Story 3. Terry already talked about it. It's just... It, it's the start of, like, the animated movies by Pixar that have, like, incredibly lifelike uh, visuals. And as it, you know, it draws toward the end and they're in the trash incinerator. Like, you're just, like, stunned and heartbroken in a way that you never should... I, I never thought I'd feel, like, watching an animated movie. And there's this, like, these, like, cool references throughout the movie that make it just different. It, it feels like a 1960s prison movie or something. And there's a reason why it was the only animated movie of the decade that was nominated for Best Picture. is because it's more than just an animated movie. It's one of the best movies of the decade. I had it at number 16 on my decade list. 
And it's one of the five best animated movies of all time. It was the easiest number one we've done on any power ranking. It was also the only one of the decade because after 2010, they stopped having ten nominees. And they had nine. Toy Story 3 would have been nominated with five. It would have. The two years they had ten nominees, a Pixar movie got in, and ever since they stopped, it hasn't gotten in. Yeah, but none of them were good enough to get screenplay nominations either. Other, Inside Out, I guess, did. I think. Yeah, I, I think so. I'll have, I'll look it up here. Anyways, yeah, it's a good choice. Uh, Inside Out did get a screenplay nomination. Okay. All right. Zach, number one. All right, so you know Terry accused me of uh, of capitulating to my wine a little bit. You know what? I'm actually quite sober right now. Um, yes, yeah, speak, speaking of digression, sorry. Um, the, the, the reason I bring that up is because I'm on like an emotional high right now. Because, you know, Adam put out this animated movie list. And I realized right away, I've had a major deficit. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen. So there was one movie that I knew I had to see in order to really be... As any, you know, any sort of authoritative list, right? Because it had been on my list since it came out. I watched it this morning. It's my number one. Not only is it my number one, but I've now moved it to the number one of the year it came out because of how good this movie was. I could not believe what an amazing movie that is. It it was. It is. And that movie comes from 2016. It was nominated for Best uh, Animated Movie, and that is The Red Turtle. My God, what an amazing movie. I, I, I don't think I've ever, I, I mean, I could actually maybe make the claim right now. And I know I'm hyperbolic. I'm, I'm spouting off, you know, we're talking about cash grabs. Like this might've been the best anime movie I've ever seen. It is absolutely magnificent to watch. It is a beautiful piece of art and it tells the story of it, uh, this guy who is uh, a castaway on this island. It actually feels a little bit like an animated version of Castaway. And he's marooned, and uh, he tries to escape the island, but every time he tries to escape, he, his, his uh, escape gets thwarted by this red turtle that breaks apart his ship. By the way, this movie has no talking in it. There's no dialogue whatsoever. And gradually, I'm not going to say exactly what happens, but the red turtle kind of goes through this metamorphosis. And as the movie goes along, we realize that this situation that this main character is in is essentially his life. It's his plight, like Jack would say. And and, uh, it becomes everything that he stands for, and um, I think this movie is absolutely magnificent. It is directed by, uh, I, I believe, a Dutch uh, animator named Michael Dudok de Witt, who won Best Animated Short for a, a movie in the 90s called Father and Daughter, which is also an absolutely magnificent uh, short animated film. In fact, it actually has some of the same themes a little bit as The Red Turtle. Uh, again, not a, I mean, kids can watch it, they can appreciate it, but this is a movie that deals with, I think, some very real existential and philosophical themes about the meaning of life, oncoming death. Um, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm speechless. I've been on a high all day because of how amazing I thought this movie was. It is my, now my number one of 2016 and easily the best animated movie of the decade. Not that I've seen a whole lot, but wow, absolutely you know, bow down. What an amazing, amazing movie. It sounded like you were reviewing a Charlie Kaufman movie. 
but well, I, you know. I don't know what that means. I think Charlie Kaufman would like the Red Turtle because it does have a lot of existential uh, sort of threats in it. And, but you know what? It doesn't have that ridiculous dialogue that he has because there's no talking in it. So, you know, I, it is it is a really good movie. I've seen it too. I have it as my it's my third animated movie in 2016. But uh, that's because the other two were already on this list. <laughs> 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 but, uh, Did it make your honorable movie. mention that's though? Fair. Was that's there fair. spot on the honorable mention for it? That's the real no, question. No, <laughs> it is not quite on my honorable mention. No. Oh my god! I only it's, have seven honorable mentions. It it is a work of art. It is like it's like being in a museum watching a beautiful work of art and being completely subsumed by it. And wow, I just I'm, I'm blown away by how great of a movie it was. Did I'm, you say subsumed? Su- subsumed, isn't that a word? <laughs> I don't know. I think it is. I, I think you meant consumed. <laughs> Subsumed, consumed, you know, same thing. <laughs> All right. I have not seen that movie. Apparently, I need to watch it so I can also be subsumed. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a word or not. <laughs> uh, but you made it sound good. I'll give you that. It's a great movie. In all seriousness, just absolutely awesome movie. All right. Uh, number one on my list, uh, it was, uh, it's the only animated film that, from this decade, that was number one of it, of the year. It was number six of the decade total for me, um, and it's already been mentioned once. It's Inside Out. Uh, this movie, it, it's, it's just so good, and you, you look at, it's, it does something that, uh, Pixar is really, really good at, um, when they're at their best they're able to make a movie that entertains kids yet speaks to adults on such an amazingly deep level. And that's what inside out's able to do because not only are you able to make this entertaining film for kids and all these little characters that they fall in love with, but at the same time, you're, you're, this is like a psychology lesson here. And it's looking at like, you know, the, the mind of a teenager and, and how, how our minds work and the battles with all our emotions and how how depression works, and how how um, how we go through these these spells in life that are that are tough and difficult, and and how these transitions change us, and it's able to do it using these five characters inside of a mind that are just literally they're they're cartoons, like they they are caricatures, but through them you're able to find the full complement of human emotion, and it is. It, it is brilliant how they were able to put this together. And uh, it, it might be, I, I think I might say it might be the best Pixar's ever done. Like uh, between, for me, it's like between this and WALL-E are the best that Pixar's ever done. And uh, and I, I had to be number one for me. Uh, so yeah, my number one's Inside Out. It's a great choice. Pete Doctor it has the emotion that Pixar uh, doesn't have otherwise like he like his movies are, are always just they, they, they feel heavier and uh yeah inside out is a great example of that Do, did doctor do wally or was that andrew stanton that was andrew stanton yeah that's why doctor did up which similar yeah. like that goes places you never uh expect to go watch an animated movie and also monsters inc that was his first one yeah all right well, uh, it's time for, for these, uh, 
these uh, legendary honorable mentions lists that are so hard to crack, apparently. Uh, <laughs> Todd, you're first. Uh, so the two that would have made it if I wasn't uh, doing one per studio were Paranorman, which is another great Leica movie, and, uh, and of course Inside Out. I also have Frankenweenie on my honorable mentions, uh, a movie that I don't really know why it wasn't a bigger hit. It, it seems like it had everything going for it, and Tim Burton, it's definitely the best thing he's done, like, basically ever. Uh, and I have Toy Story 4 on my honorable mention, of course, because it's a great movie, not a cash grab. I also have In This Corner in the, in the this corner of the World, which is a, a Japanese movie, which I love from 2017. Winnie the Pooh, which, because, I mean, that was nostalgia, and it actually got the spirit of Winnie the Pooh as much as uh, I ever could have imagined. And Ralph Breaks the Internet, which I don't know anybody that loves that movie as much as I do. It is clearly better than the original, and it should have won Best Animated Feature in 2018. And, I don't know, I, I, I never expected that, that like, goofy uh, movie to spawn such a, a meaningful sequel, and uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet is amazing. Why have I still not seen the Ralph movies? I really don't know. Because you've only seen 34 animated movies, Terry. Uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> Your from kid this would decade, love those From movies. this decade. He does love them. He's seen both of them and loves them, but he's watched them when I'm not home. And I actually haven't seen them yet. I've seen bits and pieces of them when I walk into the room, but that's it. I leave right away so that I don't uh, spoil anything, because I actually really want to watch both of them. All right, Zach, your honorable mention. All right, so I'm just going to read out some Disney Pixar movies. I, I agree, Coco is, is pretty terrific. I really like Frozen as well, uh, Zootopia, Toy, the biggest cash grab in Power Rankings history, Toy Story 4. Um... <laughs> I also went with uh, Hair Love, the Matthew Cherry movie. I, I know we were trying to stick to feature movies, but I actually, I actually think that's a really good animated short that won the Oscar last year. Kuba on the Two Strings, as mentioned by Todd. I did not get to your name, um, Adam's favorite, uh, but it's a movie I really want to see, so I'm just going to preemptively put it on my, on my power ranking somewhere because I know it's a great movie. I should also put Mirai, The Wind Rises, and A Silent Voice, which are all anime movies that, I, sadly, I have not seen. I, going over this list is just, you know, it reminded me that I need to watch more anime because I, there's some really good stuff out there, and my implicit sort of reaction to animation is to reject it because it all seems very childish, and, you know, I like adult, sophisticated, depressing movies, and I think there's a lot of that in anime, so I, I definitely want to check some of those out. I also put the opening animation in Argo, and I also said the trailer to the Secret Life of Pets, which is one of the funniest trailers of the decade. Uh, the movie, not so great, but the trailer absolutely had the theater uh, cracking up back when you could go see movies um, in a full theater in the pre-COVID era. I still hold to, uh, like, my favorite trailer, like, of all time is um, Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. And I don't even, I never actually watched the movie, but just because they've got... Uh, They've got um, kings and queens playing in the background. It, it makes it... And it was definitely trailer. one of those vantage point moments where you saw the movie, like... Or saw the trailer probably, you know, 15 times in a month. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it was... I feel like it was, like, delayed for six months, too. So, like, you saw the trailer a bunch, and then they delayed the movie, so then you had to watch a trailer for another six months. Because it, it was... Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Anyways, all right, so... Um, I, uh... I really wish we could we would have done a top ten, because I could have easily built a really a really solid top ten. So I did anyways. Uh, so number six is Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Number seven is Sing. 
Uh, number eight is Moana, which has really grown on me since the first time I watched it. Uh, number nine is Despicable Me. Talk about cash grabs. Everything that came after Despicable Me was a cash grab. Um, Despicable Me 2 was all right, but the fact that we have a Despicable Me 3, we have a Minions. We're about to have a Minions 2, the, the, like, when they meet Rue. I mean, you don't need all that, but Despicable Me was amazing. Number 10 was Zootopia. Just outside the top 10, Big Hero 6 and Incredibles 2. Huh. Big Hero 6, one, one of the, the, the forgotten Marvel movie of the decade, I would say. Is that not canon? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think it's MCU. I think that's that's how, how you would describe it. Kind of like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It exists, but it's not MCU, even though it was Disney. So, I don't know. And it did have the Stan Lee cameo. Anyways. All right. Now now is the time. The, the, this is going to be one of the more interesting and possibly most like hotly contested uh, guessing of Zach, of Adam's list ever. So, Todd, you're first. Give us your, your top five. Okay. So I went number five, Coco. Number four, Your Name. Number three, Inside Out. Number two, Toy Story 3. And number one, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I, I'm I'm realizing not putting your name on there is probably gonna bite me in the butt. But uh, all right, I, as soon as Zach said that, I was like, oh crap, he's right. He loves that movie. Well, Dang it's it. number one on his like love story list, I think. That's right. Yeah, I know. I know. All right, I'm already I'm already downgrading myself. All right, Zach, what do you got? I had number five, Batman: The Killing Joke. Number four, Toy Story three. Number three, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Number two, Inside Out. And number one, Your Name. See, all our lists are pretty similar here. All right, I've got... Um, and and good, good call, by the way. I did the same thing you did. So I've got number five, Toy Story 3. Number four, Batman Under the Red Hood. That's oh, the one I went with. Okay. Um, I, I, I went through them all. He had three that he gave three and a half stars to. Uh, of the Batman animated oh, films. Boy. And so I picked, I picked Under the Red Hood. But The Killing Joke was one of them. Uh, number three, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Number two, Coco. Number one, Inside Out. That's yeah, Toy what Story I'm, 3 but... on his top 25 of the decade. That's going to be on his list. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had I had it on the list. Okay, so he had to send me three different versions of his list because he couldn't decide on what he how he wanted to do it. Of course. It. Um, yeah, so uh, wow. he sent me... So he probably got he really creative. Me, <laughs> yeah, he sent me one. Let's see here. One came through last night at 935... Then uh, the update came through last night at 10.05, so a half hour later he had to change it. And then the, mo- the last one came this morning at 10.27, uh, his, his final version. So here we go. Honorable mention, he's got uh, A Cat in Paris, The Adventures of Tintin, Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox, what? How to Train Your Dragon 2, yeah, Moana, Kubo and the Two Strings, Coco, What? Wow. Coco's on his honorable mention. My Life is a Zucchini, Mary and the Witch's Flower, and Isle of Dogs. Oh, that's a good one to throw out there. Yeah, about Get some Wes Anderson in here. All right. Uh, number five, Batman Under the Red Hood. Yeah. Yes, an animated Batman movie having a brutal opening scene where Joker kills Robin really sets this film above the other animated DC films for me. Having Batman face his ultimate challenge of the Red Hood is a highly entertaining film. I picked the right one. Yeah. Okay. 
Number four is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, a highly wow. entertaining film that is beyond a creative masterpiece. Uh, having, uh, having fan favorite Miles Morales be the main Spider-Man was such a fantastic choice for this film. Seeing multiple Spider-Men is so much fun. Peter Porker and Noir Spider-Man are my favorites. Number three, Inside Out, one of my favorite films of the decade. Pixar takes a complex subject that makes it understandable for kids and adults alike. The bing-bong scene still brings me to tears to this day. Always think about the birth of my daughter every time I see this. Yeah, it was in his top 25 of the decade, yet is number three on his best animated films. Why? I don't get it. Okay. Number two, The Breadwinner. Just watched this wow. film in preparation for this power rankings. So happy I did. What a powerful film, not just about gender, but religion and humanity as well. The imagery was haunting and made my heart feel heavy. A great movie not just moves you, but makes you conflicted and think, and this is exactly what this film did for me. Wow. So okay. he watched a new movie. We can't predict that. I know, I know. That movie I guess wasn't we're gonna that have good. To... I give that, that was like a medium three-star movie, but I mean... Come on, I guess Adam. we're gonna have to start going through and be and like predicting what's gonna be the movie he watched in the last week <laughs> just for the power ranking. That'll be our number like, five like, on it on the list. <laughs> like a number five, or maybe we should just have like have like a sixth movie of a if he watched something this week, it was this. Maybe that, and that could be like the tiebreaker. Well, so it wasn't on version one of this list, then. In other words, it, I don't know. I'll have to check. I'll have he to check. Wa- he, okay. watched, he watched 35 minutes of it and put it on his number two. <laughs> there you go. All right. Num- number one is, yeah, is your name. Uh, one of my favorite animated films I've ever seen. Nope. Not he even in his honorable mention. It was on his top 25. It didn't crack the honorable mention. Just like It me. didn't even crack the honorable mention. <laughs> what, what happened in the last, uh, the last six It months? was not in his top 25. The only animated film in his top 25 was Inside Out at 25. I swear. Anyways, here's here's what he says about your name. One of my favorite animated films I've ever seen. The characters are well-crafted and fully realized. This film has so many genres, and they blend so well with each other. This film is a little more rewatchable than my previous film, so gives it the slight edge. I love the characters and the experience watching this film. If you haven't seen this film, watch it. I think there's some recency bias here. Like, the two films he watched the most recently... Are one and two, and then and then Inside Out, which was on his top list of the decade, is number three. So I think I think there's some recency bias there. Let me see what was on his his past list here. What changed here? So his for his um, let's hear version 1.0. Version 1.0 was Your Name, Inside Out, Spider Man, uh, Batman, and Kubo. Version 2.0 was Your Name, Inside Out, Spider-Man, Batman, and Kubo, with Breadwinner on, in honorable mention both times. And then Breadwinner went from honorable mention to number two overnight. I think he was trolling us. He so might have been. Okay, so let's figure this out. I, oh, I, I got Kubo, Your Name, and Inside Out. And I, 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 got, had, I had Your Name first. Not, you had yeah. Your Name number one, but how many did you get? I got three, maybe four yeah, three. out of five. Because I got a Maybe Batman four? animated movie. All right, yeah, I got right. three right, and I got the right Batman movie. Yeah, but I got the number one. Yeah, he so, got, I, so Zach wins. I think Zach wins. He got three, and he got... Yeah, and he got a bat... So he's got three and a half. We each got three, and he got the number one right. I think Zach wins. Yeah, Man, I, if I, I just remembered your name... How, yeah, how does he not even mention Toy Story 3? That's bizarre. 
That is bizarre. I don't understand how that happens. Well, yeah, I, I... Hey, you know what? Speaking as someone whose number one was a movie they haven't seen 24 hours ago, I think recency bias is awesome. <laughs> okay, just for the record, Adam has Toy Story 3, number 32 on his top 100 of all time. You know, so. once upon a time, man, you know, I really liked Raging Bull and Traffic, and they fell off my radar, so maybe he's, you know, Toy Story 3, maybe not a great shelf life. Like, like Inside Job. A bit more effective in 2010. Ay, ay, ay. He had, alright, Toy Story 3 was his number 3 of 2010. Only beat out by Blue Valentine and the Social Network. Yet, Batman Under the Red Hood was from 2010 and made the list over Toy Story 3. And that wasn't on his top 10 of the year. Yeah. And, and, and uh, let's see here. He had... Oh, let me look. No, it was not on his top 10 of the year. However, he had a 2010 film. A Cat in Paris was 2010. So he had two 2010 animated movies listed over Toy Story 3, which is in his top 35 of all time. Well done, Adam. Yep. I mean, what what would be a good Adam list unless we could, uh... <laughs> we could... We could criticize it and tear it apart. Uh, alright, Zach wins. He gets to pick our next, uh, our next Power Rankings topic. Um, we'll see where that goes. Uh, Orphanage. but now it's time for Orphanages. trivia. What? Orphanages. Orphanages. No, no. Well, we've already had our orphanages conversation. Uh, all right, trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Uh, for some reason, I won trivia last time. And uh, I felt, I, I gotta tell you, it felt really, really weird prepping for this podcast knowing I did not have to watch another movie that one of you assigned me because I never get a host trivia. This is my, let's see here. Um, this is the first time in, in 10 weeks I have hosted trivia. So, uh, wow. so yeah, it, it rarely happens. So I got to assign some movies for you guys to watch. Uh, we're going to go to Zach first because Zach kind of assigned himself this movie to watch. Um, maybe he can explain that a little bit, but, uh, Zach, tell us what you watched. The shit giving in this podcast is awesome, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a backhanded sort of... You could take shots at each other, it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, what else, what else could we do? It's, it's, it's kind of par for the course at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think all three of our listeners probably get most of these jokes anyway. Um, but, you, you know, so... Um, I was assigned by myself to watch Countdown, the 1967 Robert Altman movie. And the backstory behind this is I texted both of you one day and was like, we have not done a uh, uh, jump to the stable, come to the stable movie in a while. And um, I thought Countdown would be a great movie because it is the Robert Altman movie about the moon landing, except it was made two years before the moon landing ever happened. So... I mean, that's, that sounds like ripe territory for some prolonged, you know, making fun of it. Um, y'all let me down. I mean, this would have been a fun movie for us to just rip apart, like Day of the Dolphin, and like the Barefoot Contessa. Well, Terry well, allegedly reason, has seen yeah, it. I, I'm, gonna call, I've seen I'm it. calling Terry out on this. What do you remember of this movie? 
I, I'm, I, I'm uh, pulling, I, I'm pulling uh, so a bullshit James flag. Con. I don't think you've seen it. No, 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 no. I've seen it. I've seen it. James Caan and, uh, and yeah, and he, like, almost gets stranded on the moon or something. Uh, his other astronauts die. Something like that. Well, I, I don't know. It, it's, I, I was looking it up. It's been, like, I think I saw it in, like, 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. I caught off TCM one day because it was be like, ooh, TCM space soon, movie. Too, I saw. Oh, is it really? Yeah, I almost forgot to record it. Maybe I should. Great. You so should. I, you need to. You need to. So I wasted two nine. a true, and I'll I'll watch it. A, I can watch it again, and then we'll have a true uh, a true discussion about this movie. So I wasted two ninety nine on ahead, on Amazon Prime because I got rid of my HBO Max subscription after an American Pickle. Great. Um, this yeah. So I regret that. Um, yeah, this was a snooze fest. Um, again, you know, I I would have liked the whole like this is a perfect movie for like Mystery Science Theater three thousand. It is really I think choppily made. Um, it feels like a mixture of like an episode of like um, I don't know some like soap opera from the sixties meets like I Dream of Genie because the you know it's like the genie's you know lover in that show was an astronaut. Um, it's more of a curiosity than anything else because it was Robert Altman's first studio film. And, um, there's, there's a great line in it. If you ever watch the Robert Altman documentary, I can't remember the name of it, but it's on Canopy. He talks about how Jack Warner thought he had a shit attitude. And so he thought he, he was like, um, you know, just this young kid who was spouting off, you know, bullshit and he really hated him. And, um, so he, you know, Jack Warner hated the overlapping dialogue stuff, which you can see in the movie. And so the movie was really re-edited. And so... I would have liked to have seen Robert Altman's original version for the movie. Unfortunately, the way it is, this is a long, protracted, really boring movie. Um, it has it has some good unintentional humor. It's like a five out of ten on the unintentional humor scale. Um, but it's 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 you know it's it's an interesting curiosity to see you know um, Tom Hogan and the uh, uh, Sonny Corleone interacting with each other five years before The Godfather, and some really bad set pieces that are clearly miniatures. Um, it's just a snooze fest, and you know what? Screw y'all. I, w- it, this would have been a fun movie for us to, to make fun of. It's like, as it is, it's a two-star movie. If we'd gotten a little bit more engaged in it, it, I would have maybe put it up to two and a half stars, but, oh, it was it was pretty bad. I will say, though, that the house in the movie that uh, the James Conn character lives in does look a little uncannily like Jim Lovell's house in Apollo 13, and there is a subplot about an astronaut who wants to go on the mission but uh, can't. I never really qu- was quite sure why they scrubbed him from the mission, but he was not taking any of that flight surgeon horseshit, Deke. <laughs> yeah, I gave it two and a half stars. Um, so I, I thought it was really interesting because, like you said, it came out before the actual moon landing, yet is about the moon landing. Um, it uh, it actually didn't get its American release until 1968. Which is really fascinating because that puts it coming out the same year as 2001 A Space Odyssey. And you look at, you know, two space films from, I mean, it it was made before 2001 completely changed the game. Um, And I think you can tell that, too, in some of the the visuals and some of the effects that they do. Um, Yeah, I don't remember much about the movie simply because, like you said, it's not a very memorable movie. But those were the main things that I remember is, is it was interesting how it thought the moon landing was going to go because the moon landing actually hadn't happened yet. 
Well, you know, like, I feel like the filmmakers didn't really do a lot of research into actual, like, um, space uh, travel because a lot of this movie is just sort of like soap opera drama between the main character and his wife, and then, oh no, I have some vague problem up here in outer space. They don't even really show them the landing itself. He loses radio contact at one point. It's just, it, it's it's bad. It's a curiosity more than anything else, probably for Altman connoisseurs, but uh, it's 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 pretty bad. All right. Todd, what did you have to watch? Well, mine wouldn't necessarily be a jump to the stable or jump to conclusions, Matt, or whatever yeah. Zach said it was. Um, <laughs> jump to the stable. <laughs> I heard that, too. And it doesn't uh, have the guy who played Tom Ho- Hagen, not Hogan. Uh, safe- <laughs> I watched Safety Last, uh, the 1923 silent movie that Terry reviewed at one point. Uh, it stars Harold Lloyd. He plays a guy who moves to the big city, and he's trying to make enough money to support him and his girlfriend, and when... Uh, he makes something of himself, she'll join him, and he kind of struggles with his job, which is complicated by the fact that he keeps buying, like, expensive shit and sending it to her, like, to make it seem like he's actually making money. There's, like, a million ideas in this movie that are all thrown at them at, at the screen at once, and it never you never really get a second to breathe. It's really frantically paced, and it's kind of chaotic. Uh, Harold Lurie's kind of a crazy person. It, it seems like if it was remade, it would be, like, a 1980s, like, Steve Martin comedy or something. It's, like, the Charlie Chaplin American Dream kind of story mixed with, like, the physicality of the Buster Keaton um, movie archetype. And uh, he's really sort of a creative contortionist. He keeps, like, balling himself up in, like, random places to avoid being detective. He's exhausting to watch, honestly. But watching him scale the building, in, uh, which I had known of the scene, but I didn't know it in context. It's actually way more interesting than I thought it would be. It, it, like, uh, there's a whole bunch of imagination in the movie, and I loved it. It's, it's a three-and-a-half-star movie for sure. Yeah, it's one of those classic silent films, and uh, I watched it not too long ago for the first time, so when I found out you hadn't seen it yet, it was, it was time to watch it, so I'm glad you got got to it. Yes. What's funny is that none of us mentioned The Freshman, the Harold Lloyd Freshman movie as a football movie on our list. Oh, yeah. Well, I've never seen it. I've only seen the clip that they show in uh, Sylvan's Travels. Yeah, I need. I, I, I want to watch that movie. I haven't actually seen seen that one. All right. Well, now it's time for our trivia game. You guys ready? We're, we're doing some Oscar trivia here. And uh, before I start, I have to give a quick shout-out to uh, to Will Mavity on, tr- on Twitter, at Mavericks Movies on Twitter. Uh, he does... He is kind of... Uh, he does a lot of movie stuff, and he does a lot of analysis and puts out a lot of statistics on movies and especially the Oscars. And so all of the, all the categories I have here are stuff that he has researched and put out over the last like six months or so, um, that I've kind of been compiling, waiting for a time that I actually get to do trivia again. And so here we are. Um, okay. So, uh, we are coming into the fall season and the fall season, uh, starts up a lot of, uh, after we get through festival season, we get to, um, we get to the critics awards coming out and it's like the first shot, the first look at who's really going to be some of the major players come Oscar time. So our first list is, uh, since 2002 and he had a reason that was the cutoff date. I'm not, I think that's when like critics lists like expanded and there were a whole bunch of them. So since 2002, can you name the top 10 
uh, best actors that got the highest percentage of critics' wins leading up to the Oscars. Just top 10 best actor candidates with the highest percentage of critic wins since 2002. I will give you I will give you this. Nine out of the ten ended up getting nominated for best actor. Hmm. So, okay. so the highest percentage of actually winning the of of critics wins leading up to the Oscars for best actor. All right. Uh, let's see here. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go with Todd first. Since since two thousand two, you said. Since two thousand two. I'm gonna say Forrest Whitaker, for Last King of Scotland. Forrest Whitaker is number two on the list. He received seventy four percent of the critics' wins that year. Zach, your turn. Colin Firth for the King's Speech. Colin Firth was number seven. He received sixty percent of the critics' wins that year. Gary Oldman, The Dark Sour. Gary Oldman is not in the top 10. So Todd is out. Oh, I, I need to be keeping score. Hold on. Crap. I got to write this down. I was, so, I, I was so excited about my list that I forgot that I have to keep score. Okay. So we're at one to one. Zach, do you have any more? Daniel Day-Lewis and Lincoln. Daniel Day-Lewis and Lincoln is number three. He received 72% of the critics' awards. Okay, and then, uh, yeah, let's go Philip Seymour Hoffman and Capote. He was number five. He got 66%. Okay. I wasn't going to say him because I thought Ledger would have had a percentage of that. Um, Let's go with uh, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood. Daniel Day-Lewis, There Will Be Blood was number four. He got 71% that year. Okay, how about Sean Penn and Milk? Sean Penn and Milk is not in the top 10. What about Ethan Hawke for uh, that stupid movie? Ethan Hawke in First Reformed was the one that did not get uh, the nomination. Yeah, 61%. Son of a bitch. He got 61% of the critics. It's the first thing I wrote down. All right, so the other ones that you guys missed, uh, number 10 was Bill Murray, Lost in Translation. He got 54%. Uh, number 9 was Jamie Foxx and Ray, got 58%. Uh, number 8 was Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave, got 59%. Mm, nice. uh, number 6 was Ethan Hawke, First Reform, got 61%. And then number 1, Casey Affleck, Manchester by the Sea, got 84% oh. of the Critics' Awards that year. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm not gonna okay. pu- I'm not gonna push this, but I still don't really understand this category. So these were like <laughs> wins that they had if they were nominated. No, 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 no. So this is all of the critics groups. Uh huh. Probably ones all that the are precursor on critics or whatever. Like yeah. he compiled so, all the. Okay. The, he got a point total or something from. Yeah. Uh, so and and just simply said there are this many. They won this percentage of the critics groups leading up to the Oscars. Okay. So who won the highest percentage of critics groups leading into the Oscars? It's good that we that we specified, because category yeah. number two is the same thing for Best Actress. 
Best actress, critics winning percentage since 2002. Uh, Zach, your first this time. Uh, since 2002. Charlie's Theron for Monster. Charlie's Theron for Monster is not on the list. Oh, come on. That, you gotta be kidding me. What the I, hell? <laughs> I mean, it's I only know. the greatest just, performance of the 20th, 21st century, but okay. I'm just telling you what I know. It's not on the list. And, oh, and I'll throw the same thing out there. Nine out of the ten were nominated for best for best actress. Well, okay, yeah, I, know didn't, what, I, I didn't know I'm that. Gonna, Can I change my vote? I didn't know I'm, that. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give you a. I don't know how Charlie Theron is not on this list. I'm gonna give you a mulligan on that. I'll Thank give you, you a mulligan. Are you serious? He's already <laughs> yeah, winning I'm by like give five. Him a mulligan. I'm gonna give him a mulligan. Oh, it's okay. I'll get the next one wrong. Don't worry. I'm God, you'll get a mulligan too on this round. No, everyone would have said Charlie Theron is their number one answer. Like he's got to be out for that. Like Gary Oldman was a slam dunk. Like that. That had to been on that list. <laughs> All right, all right. How about how about this? How about this? Uh, we're t- I'll give him the mulligan, but Todd, you get to go first now. So you get to get the first point. <laughs> how does that help? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I want the game to. Get, I want. I want to have fun with the game. Um, Francis McDormand for three billboards. That's wrong too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, then, then let's just let's just start fresh and keep on going. So, so now both go. of you get your mulligan. Zach, give me one. Helen Mirren for the Queen. Helen Mirren is number one. Got eighty-seven percent of the critics' awards that year. Eighty-seven percent. Eighty-seven percent. Um. Um. Okay, so is it include 2002 movies? I think so, yes. Yes. I will say this one is a little more spread out. Number 10 had 43%, where number 10 in the actors had 54. Okay, I'm going to say Renee Zellweger for Chicago. Renee Zellweger for Chicago was incorrect. Okay. Alright, Zach. I, I thought you were going to go with Nicole Kidman for the hours. That That's my next vote. That could... Uh, that is... That's wrong, too. Yeah, th- th- there was too. no way that was right. I knew Raina Zellweger was the critic favorite that year. I'm sure uh, you'll, you'll, you'd be surprised, actually, that that... I, I think. I think I'm looking at this right. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, Alright, so let, let's just get this category <laughs> over with. Alright. <laughs> Number number ten was Jessica Chastain for Zero Dark Thirty, got forty three percent. Number nine was Imelda Staunton for Vera Drake, had forty six percent. Number eight, Reese Witherspoon walked the line, had forty six percent. Number seven, Julie Christie away from her, had forty six percent. The one that ha- was not nominated uh, was in sixth. Lupita Nyong'o for Us had fifty percent. Mm. Um, wow. Number five. Yeah. Don't remember that. Number five, Natalie Portman for Black Swan had 60%. Oh, yeah. Uh, number four, Brie Larson for Room had 60%. Uh, number three, Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine had 65%. And the 2002 performance you should have said, which got 73% of the Critics Awards, was Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven. So that was number one? That was number two. Helen Mirren was number oh, one. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, now that we're through that, I wish that had gone better. Um, our last category, this is probably going to go swimmingly. Okay. Um, 
this last category. All right, so we're we're in uh we're heavily into uh, uh presidential election season. So this last list is can you name let's see here this is a list of 19 films that um that were nominated for best picture that politics was a theme of the movie <laughs> 19 films nominated for well, best picture that, that were that were political yeah and it political it's a it's a fairly loose broad definition of political so Best picture but nominees. Who's deciding that, what political means? Uh, Will Mavity, who put this list together. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Shout out Will Mavity. Uh, and, and if you could give a, a decent argument for whether it should be on the list or not, I, I may, I may, uh, I may give it to you as long as it actually was nominated for best picture. But all these, all these have have some, have some theme or some, like politics play a role in every single one of these movies like direct role in in every single one of these okay it's todd first the score is five to one todd you've gotten one right so far total so um you're first uh the first thing i wrote down was vice uh vice is correct zach uh jfk jfk is correct Lincoln. I'd fight Lincoln. That is correct. Uh, Wilson. Wilson. Wilson is correct. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, all the president's men. All the president's men is correct. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Mr. Smith goes to Washington is correct. Reds? Reds is not on the list. Um I'm get all right, all right. I'll I'll specify this a little more. Um American politics. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Reds is not. So a, I'll get. I'll give you. It's not about a politician. It's not a. Poli- well, whatever. I'll, I'll get. I'll give you a. I, I could. I could see how how that would. But American politics. This. I'll. I'll give you that. It's a. They're all American politics. So I'll give you a mulligan on that, Todd. Just so we can keep going, since you're <laughs> losing by so much. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know if I have any more. All right. Well, so, how about how about this? I, I I'll give you a mulligan, but I'll let Zach go next, and then uh, and then we'll see if you can come back and get something. Okay. All right, Zach. Frost Nixon. Frost Nixon is correct. Todd, you got anything? Anything? I don't know. I mean, Argo. Argo, no. No. Zach, do you have any more? So this, uh, these are movies about politicians. Is that basically what you're saying? Um, where they're movies about that, where politics play a role in the film. Not, not, yeah. You'll you'll see you'll see what the rest of the list is here in a sec. How about Sunrise at Campobello? That is not on the list. It's about a president. Well, then it 
probably should have been on the list. Was that nominated for Best Picture? I don't think I've ever heard of that movie. It's probably not nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> I've heard of it. You were just talking um, about it a few weeks ago. Yeah, we were. That's right. It did yeah, not get a Best not, Picture nomination. No, no Best Picture yeah. nomination. Okay. All right, let's end this. All right, the be- <laughs> the other the other ones on the list were All the King's Men, oh. uh, Born Yesterday, Citizen Kane, uh, Doctor Strangelove, Good Night and Good Luck, Milk, Nashville, Selma, Taxi Driver, The Aviator, The Post, and Zero Dark Thirty. So that was what the everything else that was on the list. All right, I, well, Zach kind of dominated that, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confused about the best actors still. I still don't get it. Yeah, and you dominated that list. Okay. <laughs> All because of Gary Oldman. All because of Gary Oldman. Yeah, we'll have to look at how many he actually won. So yeah, they took how many critics awards he won, and then how many total critics awards there were, and found out the percentage of how many they won. So who, so was who won the highest the percentage of critics? 2018 groups? or 2017 Best Actor Awards. Who was winning them? I, I don't know. You'll have to look them up. All right. Well, that, that was interesting. Let's wrap this up. Quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Zach, you won. You get the first quote. So my quote comes from one of my top five animated films, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It is just a song, and it goes, Spider-Ham, Spider-Ham, friendly neighborhood Spider-Ham, spins a web, that's the gig, kind of weird, because he's a pig. Look out, here comes a Spider-Ham. Voiced brilliantly by John Mulaney. I, I love, yeah, I love that. Good call. All right, I'll go next. My uh, my quote comes from my number one animated film that's Inside Out. Uh, and uh, the, the, m- the funniest part of it is obviously Louis Black is anger. Um, and so uh, this is after they, they arrive in their new home in San Francisco and they order pizza and their pizza has broccoli on it. And anger says, congratulations, San Francisco, you've ruined pizza. First the Hawaiians and now you. So that was, that was my, that was my quote. Not I just Lucas love Lewis Black. Black. No, Lewis Black. No, no. And yeah, we, we, we could jump to the stable of Lucas Black movie. <laughs> well, speaking of Lucas Black, my quote it, comes it might, it from... Might be a, it might be a money grab, though, so... The TV show that inspired the movie that... Or the, the movie that is... No, the TV show that was inspired by a Lucas Black movie, which is one of the, the best representation <laughs> of football ever. I'm confused myself. It comes from the TV show Friday Night Lights, and it is Coach Taylor, his motto, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Which you guys haven't seen, which is a shame. Yes. Yes. I've seen the movie Friday Night Lights. I actually have seen that one. Lucas Black. Yeah, (laughs) Lucas Black. (laughs) But the TV show is 100 times better. Listen. good. We forgot to name all the animated football movies. That would have been perfect for this episode. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I was gonna. I was gonna mention Leatherheads in the 
best football movies. I love that movie, what about but Mash? nobody else does. Mash is a good football That's movie. That's a good call. Could we have said Forrest Gump? I mean, he does play football. What about 25th Hour? Tony Saragusa is awesome in that movie. Yeah, just the fact that there's a football player in it. I mean, that's like saying there's something about Mary as a football movie because Brett Favre's in it. The hell is Brett Favre doing here? <laughs> and with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. <laughs> because, yeah, Brett Favre has no place in this podcast. <laughs> so, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back at you next week. Uh, until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.